Do you have an idea for a podcast, but you don't know where to start? Maybe you're overwhelmed by all the tech or you're convinced nobody will actually listen to you. Well, I'm Shauna Game. After nine and a half years as a professional podcaster, at this show, everyone's talking money. And 25 million downloads later, let me tell you the secret to a profitable podcast. It is building a solid foundation, your podcast roadmap before you launch. That's why I created the Podcaster Class, a fast-paced group cohort podcasting for profit eight-week style NBA program. The Podcaster Class is immersive, comprehensive, and insanely motivational. If you want to create a podcast, DIYing a launch is just not the way to go. In the Podcaster Class, you'll get the tools, tips, and strategies to create a podcast that resonates with listeners and one you can be proud of. Get this. 90% of podcasters never make it to episode three. That's 2.8 million podcasters who just quit. So to be a top podcaster, you only need to publish 21 episodes, but you got to make them good. So in the podcaster class, I'm taking the mystery out of how to create, launch, and profit from your podcast so you can create a top 1% podcast just like this one. The May cohort is now open for enrollment. Classes start May 22nd. There are only 15 spots open. You are going to learn podcasting with me and 14 other amazing people. You can learn all the details at thepodcasterclass.com. Use code podcast when you sign up for $100 off. That's thepodcasterclass.com. I'm going to be real with you. Identity theft is on the rise, and you do not want to wake up one morning and discover that your bank account has been emptied or you're overdue on credit cards you never even applied for. We talk about this often on the podcast, but you don't realize how much of your information is available to scammers on the internet and how susceptible you and your family are to identity theft and fraud. I know, it's scary, but now you can get your data removed with Delete Me. That's why I personally choose Delete Me. Delete Me is a subscription service that removes your personal information from the largest people search databases on the web and in the process helps prevent potential ID theft doxing, and phishing scams. I just started using Delete Me and I got my regular personalized privacy report. (laughs) I was shocked what they found and removed. It was pages of information about me that I did not want online. Here's how it works. You sign up and provide Delete Me with exactly what information you want deleted, and their experts take it from there. I cannot tell you how relieved I felt to have Delete Me. And you know, it's also a great service for your parents or grandparents to help protect them from identity theft. Delete Me is not just a one-time service. Delete Me is always working for you, constantly monitoring and removing the personal information you do not want on the internet. Take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me, now at a special price for my listeners. Today, get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeleteme.com slash etm and use promo code etm at checkout. The only way you get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash etm and enter code etm at checkout. J-O-I-N-D-E-L-E-T-E-M-E dot com slash etm. Go to joindeleteme.com slash etm and use code etm for 20% off. You also have to be willing to go outside of your comfort zone a little bit. You know, you don't always have to fly your preferred airline. Maybe there's an airline that's a little bit cheaper that gets you from point A to point B. You know, you don't always have to stay at the Hilton or the Marriott. You know, you can use Airbnb. It's huge now all over the world. And those are things 
that will help you save money on the cost that you, you have to spend. But, you know, that will free up a little bit more of your money to do other experiences and, you know, other adventures. And so maybe if you get really good at it, instead of taking one trip a year or one trip every other year, you can take two. Millennial Money with Shauna Compton Game. It will expand your brain. Hey, it's Shauna here with some really exciting news. You can now listen to our entire back catalog completely ad free, exclusively on Stitcher Premium. Check out all your favorite episodes of Millennial Money, like how to finally master the art of budgeting. In addition to the Millennial Money Archive, you can also listen to every new episode ad-free, as well as tons of other ad-free Wondery shows with hundreds of hours of original content, audio documentaries, and exclusive bonus episodes from some of your favorite podcasts. You can sign up now for a free month of Stitcher Premium by going to stitcherpremium.com slash Wondery and using the promo code Wondery. Then once you're signed up, you just download the Stitcher app for iOS or Android and start listening. That's stitcherpremium.com slash Wondery in promo code Wondery. Raise your hand if epic adventures call your name. I mean, epic adventures are in a word epic, right? Whether you want to travel to a far-off country and climb Mount Kilimanjaro or swim the beautiful Great Barrier Reef in Australia, there are limitless options for epic adventures. But epic adventures, they take cash, flexibility, and an ability to get outside of our comfort zone. My friend Teresa Mendes is no stranger to epic adventures. She's been adventuring every chance she gets. Teresa works as a government contractor and makes a decent living, but she still has to pull out a lot of tricks to be able to afford her epic travels. So in today's episode, Teresa is talking to us about her trip to Australia and walking us through how she managed to save 2000 bucks in six months to pull off this trip of a lifetime. So Teresa, I have got a cup of tea and my comfy clothes on because we're about to talk about my favorite subject ever, epic adventures. So it's so great to have you on the podcast. Thank you so much. It's great to be here. You know, I wanted to start out just sort of asking you this this general question that I'm really curious, like, what do you think has changed with millennials? Because when I ask people, like, what are their goals? Travel is almost always at the top of the list where I feel like, you know, our parents and our grandparents' generation, like owning a home or just providing for their family or building a retirement, like so different I now see for for us and for the younger generations. Like, what do you think has changed where we're just like so amped up to travel? I think it's a lot of different things. I mean, I think one of them is that, you know, there are so many millennials now who are bogged down by student debt that perhaps, you know, buying a home or maybe starting a family right away isn't toward the top of their, you know, list of goals. And so travel is something that, you know, is fun and rewarding and, and you can plan in the near future. So I think, you know, that is a is a huge factor as to why more millennials are traveling because that is something that, you know, you can work around your own time and it's it's a lot easier to plan than, you know, thinking about your 
five to 10 year plan in the long run. Yeah, absolutely. I think that makes sense. And I think we just, there's also like a zest to experience life as we're going along and, you know, not kind of wait until whatever age you're supposed to wait to, to be able to like have these experiences. Yeah, I absolutely agree. You know, I do know so many people who do travel, travel all over the world, but I also have those friends who are of the mindset that, you know, they'll, they'll wait until they've paid off all their debt and, you know, they'll wait until they have more money or they're all set for retirement. But, you know, sometimes if we wait until we get to that point, we will have never been anywhere, never, you know, traveled, never experienced anything. So it's just like you said, a different mindset. Yeah. And I know you love to travel. Like every time I check your your Facebook or your Instagram, it seems like you're going somewhere. I'd love to know, like, what are the, some of the biggest lessons or like takeaways that you've, that you've learned or that you've, that you've gotten from, from traveling? Oh my goodness. There are so many, um, the biggest lessons and takeaways. There's just just so many just to appreciate kind of what you have and and learn about, you know, different cultures and and different things around you all over the world. That's definitely got to be one of the takeaways. Gosh, there's just I don't know, there's so much. But I think that there's that's so much I could say. That is such an important one, especially the, the the way the world is now, it feels like we're so judgmental of like everything that I feel like if you can go somewhere that is even if it's out of your comfort zone and experience like when I went to Africa a few years ago, I mean, it was just so completely out of my comfort zone. And here I was like, you know, I mean, obviously a, a white girl with like this bright bleach blonde hair and I stood out. And, you know, for me, that was like a different experience for, for standing out in a, in a culture or in a place that I was visiting. And yet it was just like such, I think it was probably like my, my most awe-inspiring travel adventure because I learned from the people. I learned a lot about myself and it just changed me in ways that is like really hard to describe, but also gave me a better perspective about where I live and maybe what I was taking for granted. Absolutely. I, I mean, I've been, I've been fortunate to go to so many different places all over the world and I will never forget, you know, my first trip to a third world country and it really is, you know, culture shock, but it, it makes you appreciate not only what you have, but I think that was a trip where I learned the most about myself too. It really pushes you, like you were saying, outside of your comfort zone and kind of makes you, you know, think on your toes a little bit like, hey, I'm in this country. This is how they do things here. You know, they don't speak the language and I'm going to have to think outside the box and get creative because all of the luxuries and, you know, accommodations that I have back home are unavailable to me here. So, you know, I need to figure out how I can utilize all my resources and have the best time that I can have and try to live like a local. Yeah. And I love that. Like, I was just thinking that as you were saying the like, figure it out part, you know, when you, whenever you land someplace, especially when they don't speak your language, it's like, oh my gosh, <laughs> I have to, I have to think on my feet and I have to actually like figure my way through this. And for me, it's, it's a fun challenge because that's when I feel like really alive. Like, okay, all right, like, let's do this. We can figure this out. Absolutely. And I think that's the best part is, you know, if you're not on a timeline, just go get lost somewhere. Maybe not too lost, but get lost <laughs> enough that you can immerse yourself in the culture and you can, you know, find some places to explore or a place to go eat that's off the beaten path. That's not 
some huge tourist trap. That's the best part. Yeah. In my opinion. I love that. So one of the reasons I really wanted to have you on the podcast is because I know that you just went on a super epic adventure to Australia. And I'd love to know, like, why Australia? And, you know, how long did you have sort of like the lead up to actually plan for this trip? Yes, perfect. So Australia um, had been on the list for a while. And um, I don't know, I kind of have like a, a running top five places that I like to go to. And, you know, it varies every year based on the time of year that I'm able to travel. And then obviously like the state of the country, you know, is it safe? Things like that. And also, um, if I'm going to have a travel buddy or if I'm going to go solo. And so this year, um, a friend of mine who lives in Seattle, she wanted to go, she wanted to go on a girl's trip and meet up over there. And one of the reasons we picked Australia is because on both of our bucket list, we had, two common items. Number one was celebrating New Year's Eve in Sydney. Huge, huge thing. And the second one was we both wanted to dive the Great Barrier Reef. And one of the reasons we wanted to go to Australia sooner rather than later is because the Great Barrier Reef is actually bleaching. And they say that probably in the next five to 10 years, um, it might completely die out. Um, and it, you can already start to tell that it's changing and it's losing its color. So, you know, we wanted to to go there and experience those things, um, you know, sooner rather than later. Wow, that's terrible news. <laughs> I'm not a diver, <laughs> but that is just like I hate hearing when when things like that happen, because, I mean, that is such a such a like awe inspiring spectacle of the world. It is. I mean, they're working on, you know, conservation efforts and such, but it, it's definitely one of those things where, you know, they've they've put it out there. If you're a diver and you really want to explore the Great Barrier Reef, you know, try to go in the next three to five years so you can have the best experience. And I'm so glad that I went when I did. Yeah. So before we kind of get into, you know, like how do you approach saving for like this big of a trip? I'd love to know you mentioned like solo traveling. And I know a lot of the listeners have sent in questions about solo travel and and. You know, how do you really like do this on your own? How are, how do you stay safe? How do you explore on your own? Do you have any tips for for somebody who's like wanting to do the solo thing but maybe is a little nervous about it? Yes, absolutely. So many tips. So, firstly, I would say if you've never done a solo trip before, Europe is always a great place to start. Europe's very safe. Almost everywhere you go, somebody there speaks English if they don't speak it in the major city that you're going to. Um, A good place to start might be England. You know, obviously they speak English there. It's not too terribly far, just across the pond. Um, You'll get enough new culture, but it won't be a complete culture shock. So that's always a good place to start. And then once you're there, because that part of Europe is so accessible, you can take the train and go from London to Paris or Paris to Brussels or Brussels to Amsterdam. I mean, there's just so many different trips you can take once you get over there. I've traveled most of Western Europe solo, and it's just so accessible, very safe, um, especially if you're a woman and you're traveling solo and you stand out, like you mentioned before. Um, never felt unsafe doing that, and that's that's what I would recommend. You know, start with Europe. Um, just kind of learn the necessities. If you are going to another country where you don't speak the language, it's always a good idea to either get a pocket translator or um, try to brush up on the language, at least learn the basics like hello, goodbye, 
please, thank you, and, you know, where is the bathroom? Those are always good (laughs) phrases to start with. And then my other recommendation would just be, you know, make sure you've got some cash of whatever the currency is that you're you're going to. It's so great now. Europe, almost everywhere they use the euro. And uh, make sure you've got that one handy-dandy travel credit card, and then you should be good to go. Yeah, I like that. I like that idea of sort of like tiptoeing in a place where they speak the language where you can get immersed in a different culture. And then maybe after a couple of days you're there, you feel like, oh, okay, I could I could go to Paris or I could go someplace else. And, you know, I, I feel like I'm comfortable. I got this. I can do this. So I love that. Absolutely. Yeah. You're, you know, for your very first trip out of the country, you are not going to want to go, you know, Southeast Asia or all the way to New Zealand or something that's so far. I mean, I think, you know, some people, they get anxiety when they travel so far and they're away from home and, and all of those things, you know, your first trip, your first solo trip, they don't speak the language. So that's why I always recommend, you know, London or, um, Ireland or somewhere in Western Europe, because it's it's not too terribly far from the United States. And a lot of you'll meet a lot of other travelers from America. And that kind of helps you put your mind at ease. And also seeing other solo travelers makes you feel more confident that you can do it too. Yeah, I love that. that that's a great tip. So I, I'd love to know, how do you approach or how did you like, what was your process to approach this big epic trip. I mean, obviously something like this is expensive. It takes a while. You're single. You got one income. You're trying to pay all your other bills and still figure out how to afford something that is, you know, a really big trip. Like how do you even approach that and how far out do you start planning for that? Right. Absolutely. It was a big trip. So I started planning about five to six months out Um, It might not normally take that long, but one of the reasons I started so far ahead was two reasons. Number one, for budget reasons, and two, because I was going over the holidays, um, which is their summer in Australia, and I was celebrating New Year's Eve, I knew that things would be a little bit pricier and they would book up faster, so I wanted to allow that extra time to plan. So five to six months um, is when I started doing the research. I'm a big nerd. I set up a Google Doc. <laughs> I put everything in the Google Doc so that my friend and I could access it and add to it, um, especially since you know we live on opposite ends of the country. She's out in Seattle, so it's not like we could meet up to do our planning. We kind of had to contribute when we could. Um, so started planning, and the biggest thing, the biggest expense was obviously the plane ticket to get all the way to Australia. So I put um, some trackers out there, used Google Flights. I asked for some recommendations from my friends who've traveled there, and I decided that I wanted to fly Air New Zealand. So I kind of shopped around the best routes and the dates that we were going to travel to Australia, and that was my first purchase for the trip, and that was the most expensive part of it. So I booked that, and then about a month later, we decided to um, book our lodging for the four different cities we did within Australia. Then from there, went and booked our flights within Australia. We did about four or five flights within the country. And then after that, we made all of the expensive reservations. So tickets to Sydney Opera House for New Year's Eve. Um, the overnight trip on the boat to the Great Barrier Reef with our dives package, things like that. And so that took about two to three months for all of the big items. 
And then from there, it was just saving money, putting it into a savings account, a separate savings account I created, and funneling as much in there as I could, and then just trying to save up for things like souvenirs, um, you know, exchanging money, things like that. Yeah, so that's yeah. kind of a big picture. So to answer your question, I kind of started with the biggest item and then went down from there. And and some people, you know, they like to do some some people like to book their activities first and then wait and get their airfare later. But I kind of wanted to get the biggest expense out of the way and then go from go from there. When it comes to financial advice, you gotta trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to Nerd Wallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before Nerd Wallet, I was paying for vacations all wrong. <laughs> I was missing out on miles. I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? I don't know, maybe that fancy hotel upgrade that you have always been dreaming about. Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. Okay, friend, I want to know, what are your money goals this year? Are you saving to buy a house or maybe a wedding or a dream vacation to somewhere tropical? If that's you, please, please take me with you. Or maybe you want to just grow your emergency fund because let's be real, life is expensive. I want to make sure you reach your goals. So you need Monarch. That's why the Wall Street Journal named it the best app for growing your savings. Monarch is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. You can create custom budgets, track progress towards your financial goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com etm. Here's what I love. Monarch is the most customizable budgeting app. You can change the layout of your dashboard. You can go between light and dark mode. You can create custom budgets and notifications. You can set up all of these automatic rules for your transactions and notifications and so much more. Monarch is obsessed with constantly improving their product. Get this. They release updates every two weeks and they even allow customers to submit suggestions, vote on requested features, and view the product roadmap. This, my friend, is totally original. Plus, they will never sell your data to third party or show you ads. I think that's really important. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it is the top rated personal finance app. And now listeners of this show get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash etm. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash etm for your extended 30-day free trial. The weather is getting warmer. I'm so excited. And it is time to say goodbye to all those jackets and sweaters and hello to the shorts and t-shirts. I wanted to update my summer workout wardrobe for the long haul without, you know, spending a fortune. Luckily, I found Quince and I am in love. Quince is your go-to place from everything from premium European linen dresses, blouses and shorts from $30, washable silk tops, timeless, 14 karat gold jewelry, and so much more. 
the best part of all, all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and passes those savings on to you. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes. I love that. Okay, I bought the dreamiest pair of workout leggings and a bright pink workout top to match. Honestly, ladies, I gotta tell you, these leggings you need. The price cannot be beat, and I feel like a million bucks wearing this cozy workout friendly outfit. I've worn it for like five days straight. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash etm for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash etm to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash etm. Imagine unlocking a version of yourself that's unstoppable, where mental barriers no longer hold you back. Listen to Mentally Stronger with me, Amy Morin, therapist and international bestselling author, here to guide you on a journey to reaching your greatest potential. Every Monday, I bring you into conversations with some of the most fascinating minds, experts, authors, entrepreneurs, athletes, and musicians. They don't just share stories. They reveal the mental strategies that propelled them to the top. But here's the real magic. At the end of each episode, I break down their wisdom into practical therapist-approved advice. In my solo episodes, I dive deep into the techniques that build mental strength. It's like having your own personal therapy session as you discover how to turn these insights into steps you can take right now. This podcast isn't just for those facing mental health challenges. It's for anyone who wants to push their limits, achieve peak performance, and truly thrive. Are you ready to unlock your full potential? Then it's time to become mentally stronger. Subscribe to Mentally Stronger with therapist Amy Morin, available wherever you love to listen to podcasts. Hey, I know you work hard and you're taking time to get in a better relationship with your money. So I want to do you a favor. I want to buy five listeners a week a cup of coffee or tea just to say thank you. You can take what you would have spent and just put it towards one of your goals. I know it's a small amount, but every dollar counts, right? All you need to do is head to iTunes, leave a review for Millennial Money Podcast, and then email me a copy of your review to info at mmoneypodcast.com. That's info at mmoneypodcast.com to be eligible to have a cup of coffee on me. Hey, we'll jump back and hear more from Teresa after a quick Ask Shauna from Jackie. And Jackie says, I hope this question isn't too weirdly specific. By the way, Jackie, I just love that opening line. Basically, after a couple of mishaps with student loans after college, I'm trying to rebuild my credit score. I've made my loan payments on time and paid off a car, which has definitely helped bring it up a bit. But I'm considering a credit card now to give me that extra boost from responsible spending. My question is, is there a bad time to apply for a credit card? I feel like the inquiry could cause my score to go back down, and I'm also trying to move into an apartment, renting, in the next couple of months. I know that's a lot, if not all, of apartment complexes pull your credit score to determine whether or not to let you live there, and I'd hate to be denied housing because of my score. Should I wait to get a credit card until after I move or risk my score dropping a bit and hope that it goes back up in time for the move? 
Sorry for the lengthy question, but thanks so much for your help and for the podcast. You're great, and I appreciate you. Well, hey, Jackie, I totally appreciate you. Thank you so much for sending this in. And there's no question that's too lengthy. So I've had pages and pages with one question. So (laughs) don't feel bad about that. But my answer is, which I know I should have like this sound, right? That's like dun, dun, dun. My answer is it depends. And I'm using air quotes, of course, but there are a couple of things I just want to ask you in order to determine what might be the best decision for you. So first, where is your score now? Is it above 740? 740 is sort of the echelon for great credit and great credit gets you lower interest rates, all of that jazz. So you definitely want to aim to have your score above 740. So where does your score sit in relation to that? Do you anticipate having an issue renting the new apartment with your current credit score? So if you look at your current credit score and you're like, I'm kind of on the cusp between great credit and good credit then you definitely want to be a little bit careful with your decisions. But getting a new card is is a great idea because in essence, what it does is it widens the margin between your credit available and credit used, which makes up about 30% of your credit score. So the wider the gap, in essence, the better your score will be as long as all the other credit factors are in good shape. Now, new credit, so those credit inquiries, they only account for about 10% of your score, so a smaller percentage. So you might see a slight decrease, but it shouldn't be dramatic as long as you don't have too many inquiries in a short period of time. And of course, the follow-up question is like, okay, Shauna, but what is too many inquiries in a short period of time? And there's lots of debate about this, but the consensus is no more than two to three inquiries in a 30-day period of time. But for most people, just having one inquiry will only result in about a five-point drop somewhere in that neck of the woods. Again, that's just an average, and that is on myfico.com, but that is around what you might expect. So if your score is super healthy, it's probably not going to do a lot of damage to your score. But again, if you feel like you're on that edge between great credit, 740 plus an average, you know, you might you might want to wait until you sign the lease and then apply for a new card. So I know that doesn't specifically answer your question, but I hope that gives you a little food for thought and just some things to think about when you're you're making all these decisions. And I know it can be hard to figure out what is the right move. Do I do it now? Do I do it later? Generally speaking, You don't want to make any huge purchase before you're, let's say, buying a house. But renting an apartment, they just want to see that you're making your payments on time, that you have a fairly decent credit score, and that there aren't a lot of collections or a lot of delinquencies, maybe things on there that would have them question whether you're going to be able to make your payments on time. So that's really honestly, what what most landlords are are looking to, to figure out. They're not kind of factoring like, well, if you have a 750 score versus a 720, I'm going to charge you a lot more money. Most landlords, there may be some crazy ones, but most landlords aren't going into that detail. So I hope this is helpful. Again, knowing where your score is currently, I think is the key to helping you make a great decision 
whether you go for the new credit card now or you wait, but I think you're thinking about things great. So just keep headed in that direction. Yeah, that makes total sense. And usually like once you lock the airfare is that when you feel like, okay, I'm actually going, like I can, I can make this, this into reality. So you talked about like kind of staggering things. And I, I think this is a real interesting approach. This is kind of how I approach big, like epic trips, but how do you then figure out your own process of like, how do you incorporate the savings then for your trips or for these different like buckets of money that you needed into your monthly budget? That's a great question. So the first thing I always do is, you know, I write down um, when the pay periods are, like when I'm getting my next paycheck. And then I would kind of look at the list of, okay, what for my Australia trip needs to be booked next? And I would then go through and obviously get out um, all of my monthly expenses out of the way, student loans, credit card bill, et cetera, any payments I needed to pay, get rid of that. And then I would look at my cash flow after the fact, and I would just try to put in as much money as possible into my um, Australia savings account and kind of go from there. And and the great thing about having a separate savings account is that you know every time I would log in, to check my finances if I was thinking about doing something else in the meantime, going out, maybe taking a road trip some random weekend in the summer, I would look at the savings account and think, okay, you know, what's more important, this other thing that I wanted to do or saving for my trip of a lifetime that's quickly approaching? That's a great tip because the mindset piece is like, you know, people ask me all the time, like I've been trying to save and trying to save and nothing's happening. I'm like, well, sometimes you got to go a little backwards and like do a little of the mindset piece around, okay, like what's getting in the way of of saving and kind of figure out what's at the bottom of that to, to remedy that. So then when you get to the point when you can save, like you're motivated to continue to put that money in because then you're, you're attached to that goal. You know, I'm going to get on that plane. I'm going to Australia. Like this is, this is on my bucket list. So every dollar I can put in that is just helping me get further on that trip. Absolutely. I think it's all a mindset. And that's actually the benefit of starting to plan a big trip like that so early, you know, five to six months beforehand, is that even if at the time you're only able to put away, let's say $50 a paycheck, that's a start. And then you can increase it, you know, every week or every other week, more and more and more and keep building it up, building it up, building it up. And then by the time you go to either cash out that savings account to exchange it for the currency of wherever you're traveling to, in my case, Australian dollars, or if you're going to save it and then use it to pay off your credit card after you've returned from your trip, you'll be amazed at how quickly all of that money you're putting away, even if you just start with $50, how quickly it adds up. Yeah, that's such a good tip. So how did you both decide on, like, these are the areas we're going to splurge on on our trip, and these are the areas where maybe we're going to be a little bit more resourceful and save some money? Was there any process that you went through to to divvy that up? Absolutely. So um, we both knew that two of the four cities we traveled to, one would obviously be Sydney, and the other is Cairns up in the north, which is where you go to dive the Great Barrier Reef. So those were the two non-negotiables that we were going to go to that we knew would require a little bit more money. And then the other two cities we chose to travel to were Melbourne and then down in Tasmania, like kind of the Hobart area. Mm. 
And so um, just based on those two things alone, we, we knew that, okay, when we get to Tasmania, we don't need to splurge here. It's more of a laid back, very small community. We didn't have any items on our bucket list there that were crazy expensive. So we knew that we could kind of scale back a little bit there. And then kind of same thing with Melbourne. Melbourne is um, a really hip and artsy kind of city. So we just knew that we were going to be eating and, and looking at art mostly the whole time and not spending a whole bunch of money on tours and things like that. So we knew the two cities where we would have to splurge and the two cities where we could save. And then from there, you know, we decided, okay, in, in the cities where we need to cut back and save a little bit more money, let's find an Airbnb that has a full kitchen so we can cook breakfast each morning and, you know, or cook lunch, things like that, go back and not have to eat out three times a day. And then on the places where we knew we would have to splurge, um, for example, Sydney, New Year's Eve, the hotel prices skyrocket just because they can. <laughs> so we knew, you know, we, we expected to spend a little bit more money, if not double than what we would be spending on lodging in the other cities. Um, and then also over at the Great Barrier Reef, you know, you're at the mercy of, we spent the night on the boat. So it, it was kind of like, well, we have to pay what we have to pay to get food and drinks. There's no way around it. So that's kind of how we, we divvied up the finances there and, and made our decisions on, you know, where to splurge and where to kind of cut back a little. Okay, let's just talk about how epic it probably had to be to be in Sydney on New Year's Eve. <laughs> it was, I mean, it was amazing. I highly recommend it. I think, honestly, I can say Sydney is, is probably the best place in the world to celebrate New Year's Eve. And it's just so exciting. And it was just a great atmosphere for everyone, whether you've got a family, you're young, you're older. It was just incredible. The fireworks, the atmosphere, the shows there, it was amazing. Uh, definitely worth the money that you pay for the, the Opera House tickets. It was great. And it's also very exciting knowing that you get to ring in the new year about 16 to 18 hours before your friends back in the States. <laughs> so you get a little little leg up on them. I love that. So I want to also talk Absolutely. about the reality of when you go somewhere epic, because it's sort of like remodeling a house. Like you set aside a certain amount of money, but once you're there, life just takes over. And, and most times you're, you're over budget and you know it and while you're there, you could care less. But what's your strategy for like when you know you're going over budget? Are, are you sort of calculating that as you go? Or are you more like, okay, when I get home, I know that I've got a certain amount of like excess savings that I can put towards like paying off the extra? Definitely the second one. That's why it's so important to save early is because there were a few times on this trip, you know, there were some souvenirs that I wanted or some experiences that I wanted to do, like bungee jump in the rainforest that were a little bit pricier than I had originally planned for, but I went for it because it is that once in a lifetime trip and you, you know, you, there's no guarantee that you'll get to redo those types of things. So I say, you know, just go for it. And that's why you have that little cushion of savings that when you return home, you can just pay off the remaining balance from your trip and not have to feel guilty about it. That's such a good tip. I love that way too. That's pretty much the way I do it when I travel. I'm like, you know what? I know I've got money set aside when I come back and I'm going to worry about that then. But uh, do you have exactly. any favorite uh, like travel deal sites or travel hacking sites like when you're thinking about where you're going to go next? Is, is there any places that you go to? You're like, okay, I'm going to check all of these three and this is sort of like my system or my method. 
Yes. So I actually am subscribed to um, Groupon Getaways and uh, Travelzoo. I get their emails all the time. And, um, you know, sometimes group travel isn't for everyone. But the reason that I love being subscribed to those two is because they have um, packages and itineraries that they put together for different countries. And I love just looking at it. I love to see how they structure the itinerary. What are the items? You know, where are people who book this trip going to go? What hotels are they going to stay at? You know, that's another important thing, too, because that can make or break your experience. So I like to look through those. It gives me ideas of, you know, what to do and, and possibly where to stay and sometimes even maybe where to eat if they've listed it out that far. And then I'll just kind of use that to gauge um, not only what I should be doing and seeing, but how much generally I should be paying for a trip like that. I know that those deals, you know, sometimes they tend to offer $100 off if you book by this time or $200 off. But I always like to look at that and then compare what that trip would be if I booked it on my own. And then to follow up with that, I would say Google Flights is a fantastic resource that I don't know if people are utilizing enough you can actually set up trackers for different um, trips and try to find flights that are in your time frame that are also within your budget. And then if you're feeling really, you know, just adventurous, you can just say, send me anywhere, and they'll show you flights to anywhere in the world that are within your time frame and within your budget. So really? It's pretty, it's pretty easy to, yeah, it's pretty easy to pick a location and figure out where you want to go. So those are the the three that I normally check. And then, of course, you know, if if I've got a friend who says, oh, I want to go to Dubai or I want to go here, you know, that might bump that city up to toward the top of my list. Those are pretty sneaky tricks. Even I didn't know that last one. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. Google Flights is great because I know one of the things about booking travel is sometimes you can get a little bit anxious around, you know, well, should I book it today? Should I wait, you know, until I get paid? People always get anxious about booking plane tickets because everybody wants to get a good deal, right? Nobody ever should have to or wants to pay more for the same plane ticket when if they would have just waited, they could, you know, get at a cheaper price. And that's one of the things that's so great about Google Flights is sometimes they'll let you know, hey, this price is expected to rise on this flight if you wait. Or, you know what, the price might go down if you book on Tuesday instead of Saturday. Yeah, I like that because that's always like the number one question is like, how do I know when to push the trigger button and actually purchase the ticket? And it's it feels like such a crapshoot. And it feels like I always tell people like as soon as you book your your plane ticket, like don't go and search for cheaper deals. Like you've you've hit the button, you paid for it. <laughs> now just sort of move on to the other parts of your trip planning. Absolutely. Yeah. And I would say that's definitely true, Um, especially it depends on where you're going. You know, if you're traveling to the other side of the world, like Australia or New Zealand or Southeast Asia, the plane ticket is generally going to be the same price, regardless of when you book it, you know, what day you fly. So don't be afraid to just, if you see something that you like, book it on the spot. You know, the, the deals where the price fluctuates a lot are generally like, within the U.S. or sometimes flights to Europe. And really, you're only saving, you know, maybe a couple hundred doing it that way, pricing it out like that. But it depends, you know, if you're going on a huge once-in-a-lifetime trip on the other side of the world, book it whenever you're ready to book it. Such a great tip. So, Teresa, I'd love to know, because I'm sure you already have this in mind, where is the next place that you're thinking about going? 
<laughs> Actually, everyone's been asking me that, and I'm still so overwhelmed, you know, from having just gotten back from Australia that I haven't really thought too much about it. But I think that it's probably going to be um, somewhere in the Middle East, maybe Egypt or Jordan. Wow. Okay. So what, what made you choose those places? Are they on your bucket list too? They have been on my bucket list for a while. You know, I actually wanted to go to Egypt um, about 10 years ago um, with my family. And then unfortunately, that was kind of around the time where things changed within the country and then it wasn't so safe to go. And then I just, you know, I was traveling to so many other places. I just didn't have the time, didn't have the time. And now, you know, it's it's been back on my list. And I've had a few friends who've gone recently, and it's just been on my bucket list for a while. And I think that uh, Egypt and Jordan would pair well with one another, and it would be, you know, possible to do both the countries in one trip. I love it. That sounds like super, you are, you are a little bit more adventuresome yeah. than I am travel wise, but I, I it just, I love the idea of, of going to all these places and experiencing culture. I just think it is, again, like we, we said in the beginning of the episode, like it's just, it leaves such a mark on you that it's hard to explain to other people why it's so important until you actually go to these places yourself and like, have these experiences because you always end up learning something about yourself or if you're traveling with somebody else learning about them or you know just how to how to have a good experience traveling with someone so i think it's just like it's total in invaluable uh experience and then you know i love also hearing about how people save and be able to afford these really expensive trips because a lot of us, you know, we're not working off of hundreds of thousands of dollars in our bank account. You know, we're trying to go to these places and have these experiences and yet still live within our budget and still have it be able to to make sense to us. Absolutely. And it is possible. You you just have to plan a little bit and know where to look to find those deals. And you also have to be willing to go outside of your comfort zone a little bit. You know, you don't always have to fly your preferred airline. Maybe there's a an airline that's a little bit cheaper that gets you from point A to point B. You know, you don't always have to stay at the Hilton or the Marriott. You know, you can use Airbnb. It's huge now all over the world. And those are things that will help you save money on the cost that you, you have to spend. But, you know, that will free up a little bit more of your money to do other experiences and, you know, other adventures. And so maybe if you get really good at it, instead of taking one trip a year or one trip every other year, you can take two. Hey, thank you so much for listening to today's episode. Remember to subscribe to the podcast. It's absolutely free and you'll make sure you never miss an episode of Millennial Money. You can also listen to all our episodes on Spotify, Google Play, iTunes, Stitcher, and Pandora.